you know, my name is Boston Tijani, father to two lovely girls. I founded CC Hub, uh, which is um, a well-known uh, technology enabler across the African continent. Started out of Nigeria with uh, my co-founders. I've always been interested in, you know, trying to see how knowledge can be applied uh, to to move Nigeria forward. Uh, you know, to drive a society that is more inclusive and a society that can create benefits to, to many more people. Hey, my name is Fee, and you're listening to Coffee and Banter, my podcast about stories of grit and resilience. I'm sitting with Boson Tijani this morning. Boson is a Nigerian British entrepreneur. He's the co-founder and CEO of the Co-Creation Hub. Uh, the Co-Creation Hub is a Pan-African innovation enabler. Hello, Boson. How are you doing this morning? I'm well, Fisaya. Thank you. Good to be here with you. I'm happy to have the opportunity to actually be, be at the very early, early days of this with you. Good. I, I know you're in the UK and it's pretty late there, so... You know, first of all, just thank you for taking time to sit with me. Um, and I also know that we've had so many um, issues setting this up, but thank you for bearing with me and just for being so supportive um, of this project generally and of me as a person as well. No, my pleasure. Um, you, know, you know, I'm a builder, right? I'm, I'm used to what it means to start. So so when you're kicking off stuff, the, the support you get is critical, but also how you manage you know, early days disappointment is also the determinant of how far you're going to go. This is something I've seen in different shapes and, and forms. So, so I kind of understand what it means, but it's a good thing. Let's, let's go through it together. Um, so I'm very excited about this conversation. Um, it was very interesting that as I was prepping for this session and just doing research, I just kept finding out new and interesting things about you. But uh, let me let me let you introduce yourself. Do you want to take a few minutes and just like tell us, you know, how would you describe yourself? Oh, interesting. How would I describe describe myself? I think I, I I like to call my when I'm when I get the chance to think about it. I like to call myself a a community builder. Um, I think that's that's what I find to. Uh, to represent who I am and where, um, um, you know, where where I feel happy, you know, when I when I look at myself as a community builder, I love to uh, put in my time and resources into building the foundation for things that I believe can thrive for generations to come, uh, and I think. You know, that description of me probably resonates with my past and, and you know, what I've been exposed to growing up. Uh, I was extremely fortunate to be born into a home where my dad was one of the first set of people to start a gig in bread. Agege bread is named after a city in Lagos. It's a soft, sweet type of bread, and it's best served fresh out of the oven. It's a personal favorite of mine and can be found in many of the African stores here in the West. Uh, 
Um, unfortunately, their generation didn't do much work for them to be recognized or known for, for that work. But I think growing up around the bakery and seeing how the brand of Agege bread uh, became something that is major in a country like Nigeria, it's almost, uh, it's a sort of motivation for me. So yeah, you know, my name is Boston Tijani. I founded CCLB, uh, which is um, a well-known uh, technology enabler across the African continent, started out of Nigeria with uh, my co-founders, two of them. Uh, father to two lovely girls, uh, of course. And um, what else can I say? Yeah, that's me really. When you mentioned like growing up, you know, in a bakery and all of that, what did you want to be when you were like a child? Sorry, I think that question, I always struggle to answer it because the answer is somewhat, uh, I find the answer cheeky. Even, even I struggle to, to accept the answer I give to that question. So I can remember as far back as when I was 10 years old, I you know, said to my dad that all I wanted to do was get the chance to travel out of Nigeria. Uh, not because I didn't want to live in Nigeria, but just travel out of Nigeria to get the opportunity to learn one or two things that works in slightly more advanced society that I can bring back home uh, to apply, create a platform, create a business uh, that can then add value and, and shift the conversation for the little in Nigeria. So I always kind of find it difficult to to believe but but that's the reality that's what i can remember about my past and when you look at that and look at what i do today what i was saying uh back then when i was young is the same thing as what i do today which is um making innovation uh something that works for for nigeria but the african continent as well i think i was extremely fortunate i didn't get the chance to travel daily but i got the chance to be part of isaac ISEC was founded in 1948. It is a global platform for young people to develop their leadership potential. Bosu and I are alumni of ISEC in Nigeria. And if you want to find out more about ISEC, check out ISEC.org for more information. We said to ourselves all the time that, you know, it's about society, that we should be social change agents. We should think uh, about how we can contribute to making society a better place. And I think that really shaped uh, who I am today, uh, shaped my journey. Uh, because after my experience in ISEC, it's then been, you know, finding myself in positions and jobs where I've had the privilege of being part of uh, great companies and using their platforms to drive some sort of change on the African continent. Then fast forward to starting CCL, which was really with Femi Longa, us coming together and saying, uh, how do we build a platform that can support so many people who may have great ideas around how we can change the pattern and the trajectory of the growth of the African continent more positively using innovation. So so really, I can trace that back to when I was young, but, but honestly, I think it's something I feel extremely privileged uh, to call my passion, to call my career. That's interesting. Um, and I know that you have your hands in so many parts. There's CC Hall, there's STEM Cafe. There's just different ventures that you built and are really doing well, not just in Nigeria, but across the African continent. What would you say has been the biggest challenge to how far you've come? 
Um, interesting question. B- biggest challenge has been the ability to stay focused on 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 working for the good of all. Um, I think we don't talk about that, you know, often enough. But it's actually a big problem for those who choose to dedicate their lives to. Uh, to driving social change, you know, especially within a space where you could simply choose to focus on self, right? I could have chosen to take a path within tech that is about building wealth for me and my family, just just us. Uh, but I decided to pick a path that that laid the foundation for many people to build wealth. Uh, from the perception that if they build it, they will uh, inevitably be building it for society as well. Uh, so I think that's the biggest challenge, you know, knowing that when you choose that part, uh, not many people in society will pay attention to the fact that it's a difficult part to, to, to choose. It is extremely difficult. Uh, and I know it's difficult not just from my experience, um, I've, I've studied the life of the lives of so many people who have chosen the same path. In fact, uh, just like what you're what you're starting, I have a podcast that is linked to a deep research work that is meant to uh, sort of highlight how painful it is to choose to be a social change agent. Uh, you know, I'm announcing it for the first time ever publicly on your show. <laughs> You know something that is called the the, the title is Pico, you know, which which is looking at the the the, the social innovators dilemma. Stay tuned for more information on Pico, but remember you heard it here first. So that's the biggest thing: being able to work on trying to drive social change in society, uh, but at the same time balancing that with uh, you know, living a life that is uh, fulfilling, uh, both in terms of purpose, which you will find as a social change again, but at the same time saying to yourself that you're maximizing your potential as well as an individual mm-hmm. and, and being able to then sustain it as well. People don't get that. It's, it's quite difficult. You know, when you choose a career in the private sector, it's the, your way is kind of clear, right? You mm-hmm. need to grow, you can become a manager from there, maybe you can become a director, depending on which country you are, you can become a VP. Uh, you know, if it's not a place where a VP is manager, uh, you know, then you can <laughs> become the president and you can become the CEO. So it's kind of clear the path you take in, in the private sector, but for, for a social change agent, the path is not always clear because as you build something, you're looking for the opportunity to do more. You're looking and asking yourself the question, how can I create more impact? And at times, social change agent can be stuck uh, in trying to find find uh, an answer to that question. And there are so many platforms that can help you find that answer. So I think that's the biggest dilemma uh, for me and I've so many other people as well. And what would you say is your biggest motivation to continue going? In terms of opportunity and why I'm passionate about it, you know, there's nothing as exciting as doing or following a path where you build something and you see so many people ride on it to do to do great things. I think the biggest example that a lot of people can relate to, even though there are so many, 
of the kind of things that, that get people like myself uh, motivated and, and still on our journey will be when uh, the co-founder of Andela, who is also the co-founder of Flutterwave, came into CCOF. Uh, and I remember meeting him and I gave him space for free at, at CCOF. And I said, I didn't have much money to offer you to build what you wanted to build. Uh, but I'll be happy to be a sounding board to you to provide you know the space to you for free. He built a business which wasn't successful. Then after that, he started Andela, and he needed space. I gave him space again for free to do his first recruitment and training. Today, Andela is one of the most successful startups on the African continent. Uh, he's gone on now to also join in building Flutterwave, which is now one of the well-known unicorns, if not the first unicorn in the current wave of tech startups uh, on the African continent. And there's so many people like that, whether it's Shemonibi there of Budget, how he came into uh, CCO. And uh, we did Akaton and he came up with an idea which we accepted and he built the idea into what is now Budget, which is in multiple countries and a known social enterprise in the transparency place in Africa. To LifeBank, Temigiwa, who wanted to build LifeBank to save lives and how we supported her. Or to Taylor, one of the well-known furniture brands in Nigeria, where they ended up becoming our first investor. So when you see people like that fulfill potentials, you see them create businesses that are being celebrated world over, or businesses that are creating opportunities for people. You don't want to be anywhere else. Just as you mentioned all those all those brands, those are brands that I'm very familiar with. And I didn't even know that they had gone to CC Hub, but it definitely sounds like CC Hub is like a pipeline, you know, for a lot of tech startups in Nigeria and, and in Africa. So I can I can only imagine how proud you are of, of what you've built. Let's do a little bit of, of a pivot here. Um, you mentioned that you're a dad and I know you're raising your, your daughters in the UK. Um, and as someone who's also raising kids in diaspora, I know that that can be challenging and, you know, it comes with its own set of challenges, quite honestly. How have you managed that process for yourself and your family? Uh, I think I'm extremely lucky. Um, not just the fact that I'm, I'm a dad, but I'm also African, which means I'm black, right? Um in a way, I can also be white but be African, but I'm black, right? And and that that then you know make make the situation a little more more complex because we live in a world today where uh, there's a lot of complexity around being being black, and there's a lot of conversations that we're having around being black. And at times we want to pretend like the kids are not listening, but they hear all these conversations, these things around black. Black Lives Matter. You know whether whether you intentionally expose them to it or not, they, they pass through when it's on the news. They they hear these things. So so it's a lot more complex raising, especially black kids in in the West. Uh, complex in the sense that they have to go to schools where if there are other black kids, just a few, a handful of them, uh, right? And and they have to fact that. You know, this is the way they are perceived. And at the same time, some of their, you know, classmates in school uh, also see them as black, whether we like it or not. And these people are from different kind of homes, you know, where there are all sort of conditioning that is going on, especially in the UK where kids are encouraged to do charity. And in the process of UK encouraging kids to do charity, they end up using a lot of black kids 
and black ones as examples of, of poverty and suffering society. Uh, I remember when my, my first daughter, I think was four or five, and she came back home and said, uh, it's sad that everyone in Malawi drinks dirty water, uh, you know, because our school was raising money to help a school in Malawi to gain access to clean drinking water. So in the process, as a young person, what she took out of it was the fact that, you know, everyone, you know, drink, drink dirty water. So, so I think the issue is, is double-sided. They're also in a new school now where it's predominantly white in, in the countryside in the UK, um, where we went into the school for a tour and we realized that on the notice board where they showcase all the good things they do uh, uh, for charity, it was predominantly black kids. Uh, so, so I took it upon myself on one hand to enlighten and educate uh, the people who run the school uh, you know, to help them understand that it may be unintended, but there's some sort of conditioning going on. If everything you do around charity and communicate is about black people, you're showing the white kids in the school that they're superior and that all black people suffer. Uh, and and that's, that's how you form kids who have issues. And a lot of people don't think about this. Even black kids raised in the West, they end up, you know, picking up this perception that everything black is negative, everything black is appalling. So, so it's more the biggest issue that we have to battle with, that our kids under our noses are actually being educated that it is wrong to be black. So, so that's actually <laughs> the biggest work for me. How do you raise uh, black kids who believe strongly in who they are, who believe and know where they're coming from and who take pride in, in, in who they are? And for me, when my daughter came back and spoke to me about Malawi, it became something I do. Unfortunately, uh, COVID-19 messed it up. But one thing I do is to make sure that every summer they get the chance to go on holiday to somewhere nice in Africa. I want them to have a solid understanding of Africa. Africa is beautiful. I've started taking them to a few countries. I intend to continue to work hard so that I can afford to take them to more African countries just to give them that exposure and understand absolutely nothing wrong with, with Africa. So to answer your question, that's the biggest challenge for me, raising, raising kids in the West. Let me ask one more question around parenting and then we'll go into like more fun questions. So I know that your daughters are very keen on tech. I, I watch videos of them on Instagram making stuff and it's very inspiring. How did you get them interested in tech? It's, it's an interesting question, which I'll be totally honest about. I, I think on one side, because they're around me, you know, they see me pick up the calls all the time. They see what I what I talk about. I think uh, they've also been fortunate to have seen me on CNN. They've seen me on BBC. So they kind of have an understanding of what I do. So, so I think there's absolutely no way I wouldn't have influenced their decision. I remember about two years ago, I took them. I was going for a meeting with an inventor, a black Nigerian guy in the UK, who invented the first uh, gaming robot in the world. Um, and it brought out, you know, one of those robots to do a demo to me. But of course, my kids were there, you know. So those are the things that I did intentionally to expose them to, of course, tech. But in a subtle way as well, it's not really tech. It's, it's also exposing them to black excellence. 
uh, in the process of doing that. Uh, but I think when it comes to tech, I intentionally give them the chance to learn. And I always say this to parents, right? Uh, we do not have a choice. Uh, when you expose your kids to tech, do it knowing that even if you're a medical doctor, you're an accountant or an engineer or a, a veterinary doctor, that the world is at a place where technology literally on everything, including the shape of knowledge itself is driven by tech. And anyone who is going to be competitive in the world we live in now, but also even more so in five to 10 years time, needs to be very comfortable with technology. It also doesn't stop there. Knowing tech gives you, sort of builds up your creative confidence. And you need that to exist in the world that we're going into. Uh, so for me, it's, it's, a, it's not an option. Even when my kids weren't enjoying it, I just give them the chance to learn. And now, you know, always on Sundays when I'm still in bed, my first daughter would just come and wake me up with a laptop and she'll come next to me and literally she's, she's coding. She's doing Python now, but she likes Scratch. So she goes back to Scratch, she's coding something and trying to get me to see what she's coding. And that's, that's what I love about it. The process, when you code, you're creating. So the fact that she, that she can create at that age is what I wanted to do. Boswin is involved with STEM Cafe in Africa, a non-linear learning center where kids can explore the amazing world of STEM. See stemcafe.io for more information. Um, okay, this is the last section of, of our conversation and this is what I call 10 for 10. Okay. It's 10 rapid fire questions. We can skip anyone if you, if you don't feel comfortable answering, sure. but it's just very like quick questions, quick answers. Um, and I'll, I'll start when you're ready. So you let me know when you're ready. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> cool. Okay, so number one, something to drink. Ooh, okay. Something to drink will be something called dawa tea, which is ginger tea from East Africa. Song on repeat? Uh, Alarm Clock by Bonneboy. I like that one. <laughs> uh, what's a meal that might save your life? Oh, I'm currently a vegan, but I used to be big on salmon. So I'm still trying to figure out my best vegan meal. But, you know, salmon fish will be my best food any day. What's your favorite thing to do? I love playing football. Uh, I, I enjoy playing football. I love the banter that comes with it. Are you good at it? I think I'm okay. My parents, they encourage me, but, you know, I can fit into any average okay team. I'm not appalling, yeah. So I, I'll, I'll say I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What's something you'd never do again? Ooh, probably smoke. Yeah, I tried it, uh, with nothing to enjoy about it, yeah. Who's your celebrity crush? Who celebrity crush will be? I think it's Alicia Keys, actually. Uh, this one is Humble Brag. So you want me to pick one, Humble Brag, right? Mm -hmm. Well, I've had uh, the CEO of Facebook and Twitter come to visit me in Nigeria. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I, I know people that I know people. <laughs> so both of them came to Nigeria, of course, not just for me, but at least I'm one of the first set of people they they came to my office to see, so I didn't go to meet them. Uh, what's your favorite day of the week? Favorite day of the week, I actually think is Monday, Monday morning. I'm always looking forward to, you know, getting some exercise in and starting, starting my day. 
I'm sure you're like one of maybe like 10 people who like money. <laughs> like, I think it's because of the pressure. Yeah. Like, the, the best workout for me is Monday morning workout. Like it's starting a new week with a workout. Nothing, nothing big. What's one COVID hobby you've taken in the last few months? Pillow fights with my daughters. <laughs> who wins usually? I'm sorry, I always win. <laughs> uh, the last one. What's one topic that we shouldn't get you started on? Nigeria. I I can I can relate with that. Yeah. I can relate. Boston, this has been so much fun just chatting with you. Um, I feel like I have learned so much, but not just about you as an entrepreneur and as a community builder, like you describe yourself, but also as a dad um, and as someone who's doing all that he can to change, you know, the black and African narrative. So thank you so much for taking time to sit with me and. Hopefully soon we'll be, we'll have this on air and, you know, we'll be able to share with the rest of the world as well. Absolutely. I look forward to sharing it. And thanks for, thanks for spending the time with me as well. And I wish you all the best with this new journey. I'm sure it'll be amazing. You enjoy it. I'm, I'm excited about it. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode as much as I've enjoyed putting it together. I wish you a very good week ahead and I ask that you be good to yourself and be good to those around you.